Hey, Bankless Nation, exciting topic for you today. The next big crypto narrative. Where is it? What is it? Have we lost the plot? Where's crypto going next? That's what we're going to talk about today. This is a fireside conversation format with Maddie and Fisk. These are two of my favorite investors in the DeFi space, uh, working at an organization called Z Prime Capital. And uh, we're all going to have a round uh, table conversation on what is next. Um, David, what uh, are you excited about getting into in this episode? Yeah, crypto runs on narratives, right? As we know. And even when those narratives are very real and very based on fundamentals, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, we still have narratives no matter what. And I think post-merge, everyone feels a little bit lost, like we've run out of roadway. Like what is the next narrative? Because all we can really see right now is just a bunch of macro bad weather. Uh, and that's not a narrative. That's scary. Uh, and so while we are like going through this bear market together, we're looking, we're searching for what is the next big narrative. And I actually did a, a layer zero with uh, Fiscantes forever ago that was on like the rotating narratives of the crypto space. And so Maddie and Maddie and Fisk are just two of the best people to talk to about this kind of conversation as to where is, where is the narrative? Because we need one. Without one, we feel lost. Uh, and so I'm excited for all of this. Guys, before we get into the episode, I um, want to tell you about our friends and sponsors. At, uh, all right, David, one last question before we get into the episode with our guests today is what should people be looking for out of this episode? Yeah, so we're, of course, going to talk about the various new possible narratives that could come about. Uh, and we should all be dubious as to when we propose narratives, right? Because you, no one proposes the narrative. A narrative finds you. It's like a hypothesis. It's a hypothesis, right. And some narratives are going to resonate with you, the individual, the listener, more than others. Some might be your narratives, the things that you really care about, and others might not be so interesting to you. Like, are you a frontier, ZK roll-up, low-transaction-feed DeFi person? That might be that might be an interesting narrative to you that's different from like the tokenization of IP from the NFT side of things. So what narratives are on, possible narratives around the horizon seem likely and also resonate with you, I think, is something to consider. Yeah, for me, it's not just what resonates with me. I want to know actually what resonates with the market mm. because I want to plan <laughs> my like investment decisions. And so at some level, like if it resonates with me, that's okay, but that's not necessarily the signal, right? And sometimes I can get diluted by that. So I want to find out what the Z Prime folks think about this bear market, how we're going to tap into the next market validated narrative and what the fundamentals are behind that. So let's look for that as well. Guys, we'll be right back talking about the next big crypto narrative. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Hey guys, we are back talking about the next big crypto narrative. Are we lost as the big question for today? Answered, hopefully, by the four of us. Uh, Maddie and Fiscantes are partners at Z Prime Capital. This is a hedge fund VC firm uh, in crypto. I respect a lot of the ideas that these two put forth. They have kind of independent ways of looking at things. I can't really pin them down into a, a specific crypto tribe, but I do know they are crypto bulls uh, to the max and they've got great head on their shoulders when thinking about this space. Maddie recently wrote a post called the next big crypto narrative. I think we're going to draw a lot of inspiration from that post as we talk about what the next big crypto narrative might be. Maddie, Viscantes, welcome to Bankless. Hello, uh, happy to be here. How's it going, guys? 
And for the uh, YouTube viewers out there, we have uh, two Anons here. So we have their profile pictures uh, instead of their actual video cameras. And so Maddie is the ghost from Pac-Man. And Fiscantes is the... Uh, what character is that, Fiscantes? It's Hisoka from Hunter x Hunter, this uh, psychopathic uh, Joker magician character. But I added, uh, I mean, not me, but some artist on Twitter added a beard to it. Mm. So uh, I'm kind of making it uh, my own and stealing this uh, character. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Fiskantis is in the top right. Maddie is in the bottom left. Uh, and so now, now you know. And that was Fiskantis' voice just now. Yes. Um, but let's kick this off with the first question. Maybe I'll throw it to you. Uh, to you, Maddie, because um, you wrote the post. Um, are we lost right now? Um, I wouldn't say that we're necessarily lost. I think that you know, we're just hitting like a you know big reset, um, as opposing to the you know opposing to the uh, peak ape or peak imitation that we had. And I think it it could feel like that, but um, I think it's time to you know we're now dismissing the old ideas and we're sort of acknowledging that imitation took place and we do our little witch hunt you know doe and the whole terra thing sue and kyle and whatnot and um, now we're heading into you know this peak idea dispersion or at least we should head there so some novel concepts should be tried and and because of that you know it may feel like we're lost but you know, being lost because forking Olympus DAO and dumping on retail don't work. It's, you know, it's not really uh, being lost. I think that old concepts, um, you know, have been banished now. Uh, people don't think those will work. Um, and um, now the ideas will not come from the masses, from the chatter, but uh, from within the founders. Um, and I think that only those really mean it will stick around and build solutions to the real problem. So we, we're looking for ideas, I would say right now. So we're not lost. I think that, um, you know, I probably felt the the bear market uh, creep in, obviously after the, you know, Terra Luna crash and fiasco. And I was like, okay, we're entering, this is something new, right? You know, something's been burst here and then we had three hours capital, et cetera, right into the summer. Um, but I think the, maybe the um, longevity of this potential bear market probably hit me post Ethereum merge. Cause it did feel like, throughout the summer at least, we had this one catalyst, which was Ethereum's going to merge and maybe something could, even even though the, the, the macro clouds in the sky are very, very stormy, like there is this bright spot of the Ethereum merge. And now that we've had that, right? I mean, we have other things, we have like the ZK EVM coming out, there are other developments and such, but um, like the Ethereum merge didn't really move the market at all. And that after merge where I saw prices still down, like, ETH off $500 from what it was even like pre-merge. That's when I feel like I fully capitulated into the uh, length of time of this bear market. And I I'm wondering, Maddie, to you, because I know you've been in crypto for a while. Um, what does this feel like? Are there any analogs from the past? Is this like 2018 to you? Is this like 2019? Is this a whole different thing that we've never uh felt before when have you last felt like this about crypto no to me it, it feels familiar i would say um if i would map it to a year in the past it would be 2018 for sure and um yeah i yeah i remember back then i mean it's funny i and i wrote about it is 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 you know the merge narrative and everything like we're trying 
we're begging the market to recognize the fundamentals where <laughs> we were happy to ignore them uh, all the way through through the bull um so to me to <laughs> me and to us at z prime we're we're um yeah it's very familiar territory and i think that um we need to feel the pain a little everyone in the space kind of remind ourselves you know that we need to build more things and more useful things um and um yeah i guess it's a it's a it's a good reminder but i don't think this is a new 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 territory for us i mean it's always new right like the more change the more the world changes the more it remains the same so i guess that um all the cycles are in some way different in some way they are the same on the top and at the bottom as well so no i wouldn't i wouldn't say that um you know that this is you know, the macro looks scary but you know there's always there are always things that um you know make you go sort of very pessimistic but um i i wouldn't say that this is something that these are uncharted waters fisk what's your take on all of this uh what does this feel like to you it's have you fully capitulated that this is a a bear market is this like 2018 have you or is this different i mean i wasn't fully present in crypto at that time but to me, it feels a bit more like 2013 um, anti-Gox uh, crash, because uh, in 2018, I don't really remember anything uh, that was like fundamental to uh, the market structure um, break, right? We, we had like many ICOs popping up, but nothing really broke, like nothing big and important really broke. And in 2013, anti-Gox was the pillar that uh, held uh, Bitcoin together as a liquid and tradable asset. And in 2022, like this year, we uh, had uh, three arrows and all decentralized entities borrowing uh, three arrows and uh, maybe Luna partially as well, kind of as this like um, group of centralized entities that in a way held the market structure together in a sense, in a very toxic, unhealthy way, but still. Um, so like, Fundamentally, it feels a bit more like this sort of crisis of confidence in the market structure a bit more. Um, but the good thing about this is that uh, like DeFi held on uh, well when it comes to like infrastructure um, and how it works, how it uh, provides liquidity to the system. And we kind of, we were able to move on from this like pretty um, huge uh, uh, volatile couple of events quite fast. Like, of course, we, there are still like uh, things unfolding in many of decentralized entities, but like it feels like we are just like building on and moving on much faster than we did in 2013 or even 2018. Um, like we have, we speak to many founders who are definitely not lost and have very clear vision. I mean, many of them will probably be wrong about their vision, but they have it. They don't feel like, oh, I don't know what to build now. I just copied the uh, the other guy. I don't think this is the case. So a couple of these founders will be right and they will find the new gold vein, I would say. Um, yeah, the, I think the biggest differentiator is the level of macro pessimism. Um, yeah, we didn't have that in 2013. We didn't have that in 2018. We have it now with like Twitter regularly talking about risks of nuclear war and shit like that. So um, I guess this is, this is the new factor that kind of influences everything. And when it comes to merge, like that's kind of funny that it really worked out in the best possible way it could when it comes to the implementation or the tech, tech side, but it's still dumped. And I, I, I don't know, I kind of, 
I don't feel so jaded about it because it was some sort of a southern news event. And I remember in bear market, uh, even in 2018, even good news were basically bad news. The only good news were no news in, <laughs> in the bear market because everyone tries to sell the news and dump uh, and the risk uh, onto the other guy because everybody has uh, fear and they want to accumulate cash. Um, so I would say like merge, maybe as a narrative, uh, a narrative sort of catalyst kind of failed, but as a fundamental improvement that will have huge impact on the price of ETH and maybe market in general, it will succeed. It will just need a bit more time. The same way as like Bitcoin halvings usually don't really just cause a huge pump right after it happens, but it kind of gradually, gradually um, accumulates this momentum and um, the reduced supply will kind of uh, reflect in price over a longer period of time. That would be my take. So Fisk, I, I really like you like pulling from the past these two different uh, bear market eras. And, you know, I, I think I maybe gleaned something as you were talking from what you're saying. So you're saying this is a bit more like 2013 rather than 2018, right? And so 2013 was really the cause, the catalyst of the of the bear cycle. The reason was we had a major um, crypto bank blow up. That was Mt. Gox blew up. And you're kind of likening that, I, I would suppose, to all of the things that went on with Three Hours Capital and Celsius and Terra Luna, like stuff blew up in crypto in the same way. And so you think it's more like that. Now, 2018 to me was a bit more um, crisis of use case. So we didn't have a central bank blow up, but the whole, we have one app and it's called the ICO. We d there was really no notion of DeFi at the time. There was this, this I think, internal crisis of, is, does crypto actually have any use cases besides Bitcoin and you can hold it? But like this whole smart contract thing, it seems like the only thing smart contracts are doing, Ethereum is doing, is launching these worthless ICOs. And so we had a whole crisis of use case there. You're not seeing that crisis of use case right now, are you? Like, so, I mean, some people that are not as in-depth and not crypto bullish are standing back looking at crypto from the outside looking in it and still saying that you guys aren't really producing any valuable real world apps. This thing you call DeFi is just a tiny sliver, a niche. And by the way, regulators are probably going to shut that down. And then uh, NFTs, what was that? Cool. J you have JPEGs, uh, like digital uh, pictures of animals. By the way, they're down 99%. Uh, are you sure that we're through the gauntlet of like having identified our actual use cases? Like, do we have product market fit this cycle? Or is this also still, you know, a, a 2018 style of crisis where we actually don't have enough useful real world apps? Um, I'm not like 100% sure, but I feel, I don't know, orders of magnitude more confident that crypto has uh, many possible use cases and is here to stay than I felt in 2018. Like in 2018, I was kind of jaded about it. I felt like, okay, <laughs> there is Bitcoin, maybe Bitcoin already proved uh, it makes some sense. It's like this uh, permissionless thing you can send to people and store value in it somehow and nobody can stop you from uh, transacting with it. And everything else is maybe just like a toy for geeks, if anything. Um, but right now, I don't really feel like it. I mean, it's the depth of crypto market. It's like really, yeah, uh, everyone is jaded on Twitter and uh, on-chain volumes are super low. But at the same time, we still see people, I don't know, 
trading on GMX. And uh, of course, it's just a speculation, but people are trading on GMX instead of centralized exchanges uh, more and more. Um, we see uh, still some people trying to play some games or uh, collect some NFTs, not because not only because speculation, although granted it's 95% of the use case, but also because they actually want to collect them and they want to either play this game or be part of this community of, uh, uh, I don't know, penguins and uh, like, you know, share this sort of uh, ownership tight uh, identity with, uh, with others. I kind of feel that the use case is there. It just... Uh, didn't reach the level of adoption that would really validate it in front of uh, uh, bigger skeptics. But yeah, I'm super optimistic about crypto's use case. Of course, prices are a bit different thing. Like, yeah, vast majority of NFTs are worth zero. So even though they are now down 99%, they are still massively overvalued. And yeah, that's that will be true for almost anything. But I don't know. I don't have any doubt in my head that crypto now has many possible use cases with potentially validated product market fit it just needs us adoption on scale i i think i agree with you fisk and i want people so a lot of people listening they haven't been through those previous cycles right this is kind of like their first you know bear market and i i want people to realize like if you weren't here in 2018 2018 really felt like we didn't have any apps like there was no, pro we had no product market fit at the time. There was no such thing as DeFi at the time. It was time. all theory. It was all theory. And this is so much different. So in order to get kind of an accurate view of the crypto world, I think probably, at, you know, at least based on this conversation, kind of the most accurate model I can come up with is we've got some 2013, like a crypto banks just blew up. So we got some of that going on. We've got a little bit of crisis of use case where we have to kind of go back and reset, double down on the things that are working, but like, let's discard kind of the, you know, the strange like Ponzi, former DeFi 2.0 things that weren't really DeFi 2.0 and kind of reset the clock a little bit. And then what's different about 2022 versus other uh, crypto bear markets is we have macro. Macro is punching us in the face repeatedly. It was a little bit of this in 2018, but nowhere near what we see today. That to me is is what our world looks like right now. David, you were going to ask something. Yeah, and Fisky, you said something that uh, I want to like latch onto and hang around for a little bit. Where throughout 2018 to 2020, like having a narrative wasn't actually like a good thing because it turned into a sell the news event because people just could not get it into their psyche to be bullish. Uh, and so for like a while now, like you, you know, ether would bounce between a hundred to $300. Bitcoin would do the same. And as soon as we got to $300, like it would just, people would be like, okay, we're out and selling and it would go back down to a hundred dollars. And anytime we found something kind of like new to latch onto, it seemed to, it seemed to do that. And so I'm wondering, and Maddie, I want your thoughts on this too. Maybe perhaps for a while, it's good that we don't have a narrative. Maybe we should be okay it kind of feels like mindfulness meditation a little bit for the industry as a whole. It's like, hey, let's all be okay with not having a narrative. Like, let's see what happens in a void and, and spend some time here narrative list while we do some soul searching. That kind of seems like a healthier way for a bear market to progress for all the market participants. Maddie, Maddie, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think that one thing that we have forgotten um, uh, is that uh, you know the, the dot com bubble burst, 
which I mean, crypto wasn't around, but um, I think it's, you know, the crisis of use cases and the macro backlash that was definitely there. Also, the world world was on fire in, in 2001 after 9-11. So that could be also a, a nice analogy. And yes, it took a while for, um, you know, Web2 to emerge after after dot-com crash. So um, I think that um, we have, you know, many instances uh, in the history that uh, are now sort of we're trying to uh, kind of pro- project it onto the future or onto the current market, and and I agree with the fact that uh, we need some we need to pause and we need to, as I said earlier, we need people to come up with you know better ideas, better applications, better product market fit. And I definitely see a crisis of use case. And, and you know, we said in 2018, there was in DeFi, well, there, there was Maker, right? And it was under pressure um, at the end of uh, 2018 when when ETH was crashing. I think that there were some huge liquidations back then. It wasn't that much in terms of absolute numbers, but it was like 10% of the die volume or something like that, right? So it's, I think that everything is happening um, at the same time right now, whether it's 2013, 2000, 2000 or 2001. And also 2018, and um, we need, we definitely need to um, to to take a break to um, sort of consolidate our um, applications, our our use cases, and um, we shouldn't. Yeah, we definitely need some time. We shouldn't rush it. Um, and those expecting a quick turnaround, I think it's just hopium. Um, we need at least you know, two years or something to go back to the drawing board and improve on what we have already. And then even the old concepts will be power charged by that. Two years. Yeah. I mean, sure. is that is that a number that you just kind of threw out there? Or is that is that like something that you kind of thought have thought about? Yeah, that's how I feel. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I two mean, years starting no from when? Map. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. If this is, if we just do it, you know, very, um, you know, like uh, one potato, two potato method, um, if this is 2018, map it to the day, to the month, then uh, we got we got two more years to go. Um, and uh, I, you know, I'm okay with three more years. So, um, got, got, guys, it, I just want to talk about, on, d- just really quick on the years though, okay? So, like, two years, are you also, sh- like, are you sure that's not crypto hopium? I mean, I just, it, you just went back to like the, the 2000 crash, right? And then we had 9-11 after that, okay? Amazon lost 95% of its value after the dot-com crash, 95% down. And it took seven years till 2008 for it to reach all-time high. Yeah, but that's normal, Marcus. Crypto moves faster. Yeah, I said at least two years. Oh. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's... Um, yeah, it's it's funny that that we're also uh, dependent on the uh, on the macro, um, but I also think that we um, in crypto we're sort of even even worse in terms of than 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 traditional finance people in terms of uh, being being bearish and being sort of um, just apocalyptic thinking and whatnot because we inherently don't trust. The markets isn't you know the traditional markets the central banks and whatnot and when we see this the things are not going that well we're immediately in overdrive saying oh this is going to hell like we're done um the system will collapse and uh so maybe maybe we should uh um we shouldn't be that pessimistic and we should uh, think about uh, better apps <laughs> so the the one narrative that people have latched on to 
is the Fed pivot, which is an external narrative. That's something that is outside of the control of the crypto industry. It's not something we're innovating on. It's not some sort of new crypto frontier. It's the macro. And we are just hoping for the Fed to pivot. And I think people are, are kind of placing their bets as to like, all right, when the Fed does pivot, which which assets are going to like rocket out of that bear market once the Fed has formally pivoted. But that's really the seemingly like large looming like catalyst or narr narrative of a catalyst that we, we have. And it, it is the macro. And so Fisky, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. And, and Maddie, I want your thoughts on it too. Is like, is it even possible to have a internally native crypto narrative while macro is so overwhelmingly loud? Like does, is this, is this, silence of the crypto narrative here until macro smooths over and we stop being at war? Um, I definitely think it's possible. And I also think that we, even today, we have some crypto narratives, but they are not narratives that move the prices. They are, these are the narratives that kind of make us argue or agree on what crypto is about. Like currently, I would say um, one of the dominant narratives in crypto is this uh, OFAC uh, sanction list and censorship connected to it. And it's a narrative that probably won't move the price uh, directly in the next couple of months, but it can have huge impact uh, on uh, markets, on how crypto works and potentially on prices too, in general, in like next two years or more, as Matty said. Um, so I think that we just deal with different types of narratives the narratives that make us care more, but don't make us as rich as fast. Um, that being said, like, it's funny with Fed Pivot and all of that, how for the last 10 years, mostly Bitcoin maximalists, but also crypto enthusiasts in general, uh, kind of were betting on Fed not doing any pivot or anything, just like failing. They were betting on Fed failing. They were betting on uh, US dollar, let's say, losing its global uh, power and crypto kind of replacing that i mean it in retrospect this idea ideal feels a bit maybe like childish or naive at the same time i still kind of feel that there is a slight chance uh that in longer time horizon maybe like one or two decades we will see dollar not you know kind of being as strong as it is today uh like in uh in the global scene so that that's for me is probably more interesting question the less interesting question is what fed will do in next one to three months or even a year because that's kind of predictable they will keep uh, um curbing inflation until uh, the economy is hurting too much and then they'll switch that's like they will tell you the sky is blue and you look up and the sky is really blue and you st still try to figure out if they are not lying it's uh it's pretty <laughs> um it's pretty obvious what they try, what they try to do, what they will um, kind of try to influence. But it's not obvious what else will happen that will have probably bigger impact on the market. And one of the questions is like, what will happen with uh, geopolitical situation in uh, in Asia and in Russia and Ukraine? Um, what will happen with U.S. dollar in this world where uh, many uh, big countries are no longer so happy to to hold its reserves in dollar. You know, these these kinds of questions are probably much more impactful, but their um, certainty is much lower than what Fed will do. And like, of course, when Fed decides to stop curbing inflation and start printing more money, we are going up. And that's not really an interesting question to me or like topic of debate. Matty, you have any thoughts on this? 
What was the original question? I got lost when Fisky uh, was speaking. Does does uh, crypto? Do we even need to be bothered with producing our own narratives while macro is just so overwhelmingly in the driver's seat? Well, I think that um, one potential narrative, but it's a macro narrative, is for the longest time we we have been um, uh, talking about uncorrelated asset class, and then <laughs> after twenty twenty, we're like, yeah, this is this is very much correlated. <laughs> and um, you know, if you if you decouple, you will decouple in the downside. I think like when the markets are going down, um, you know, this is the time for crypto to shine. It, I mean, this has not materialized. But if we if we're if we're able to um, um, to not fall further if um, you know the, uh, the the markets fall down, um, then we have something that we can grab onto, and it's a it's a macro thing. But I think that um, from within, we we need better ideas and we need better products. Um, even though it's hard to admit right now, because you know, for us on the inside, it's 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 all you know magic. Uh, but I think that we need to uh, yeah, sort of have a more impact on on normies. Like, what sort of good did crypto do to to you know, to regular people outside of like giving them a four year for two months and then leaving in in them in debt? You know, it's uh, we have to be more uh, reflexive reflective about you know sort of uh, what we bring um, to the world as a as an industry, and um, that's why we shouldn't even care whether macro is doing well or not because on one hand this should be the time you know when um when the times are rough you should come up with the greatest idea and then you know change it right we should we should come up with an idea that's that will not make us care about macro at all um this all this macro talk is kind of making me feel a bit worried that we lost our independence right there was this there was this meme circling around you know this uh this meme where the guy is talking to the monkey and is like you're such a dumb animal yes and yes. and 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 there was one when the monkey was like you're waiting for the fed to tell you how much value your anti-establishment digital <laughs> currency will lose <laughs> right this is this is not that good and you know people are saying that they're not worried about crypto um that much compared to 2018 Right, because there's so much money in the space, there's um, so many developers and whatnot, and actually that makes me worried more because mm. back then we were under pressure to create. Now we're kind of complacent. Um, so you, you still think we're complacent? Yes, yes, I, yeah, I think we're complacent. Um, maybe I'm just you know being too hard on um, on on the industry, but yeah, I, I do think that we need to um, create sort of more than we do. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I feel that it's getting better now than, than, you know, a couple months ago because people are suddenly having new ideas because <laughs> the old ones don't work. Um, but yeah, um, even though it's funny because when I, when I speak to uh, people from traditional finance that um, are now, say, invested in crypto or have been following crypto, they're like, yeah, crypto is here to stay. 2018, they were like, crypto is gone. Like, this is not doing anything. Now, they're they're optimistic about crypto. You even hear guys like uh, like Drak, right? Like Stanley Drak and they're talking about this. Um, well, I'm more concerned. <laughs> You're more concerned than Stanley Drakenmiller is about 
crypto's longevity? Um, not necessarily longevity, because we have like the high level use cases, but maybe those um, really functional applications that um, that that free that we're talking about, like um, that is uh, something that uh, sort of I I need to see more from people. I want to see more creativity on the founder side. I want to see totally new application because I, I remember 2017, 2018, even 2017, like people were, even though, you know, those ideas were crazy because we didn't even have a tech to kind of support that. Um, but these days it was, you know, kind of, you know, very much sort of, um, I would say self-referential token feedback loops that kind of make you feel like, you know, this is value being created, but was it, you know? I think you brought to light another thing in my mind, Maddie, as you're talking about that's a differentiator from 2018. And this is interesting because I'd not thought about it in this way before, but in 2018, I think builders, particularly DeFi builders, were hungry. A lot hungrier, maybe, than they, they are now. Like the depths of, of that bear market was just like, you know, Hayden Adams and Uniswap couldn't fund a team. He got a grant for like 80,000, 120,000. It was 10,000 at first from the Ethereum foundation, right? It was just him hacking away, hungry to prove out an idea. I, um, I still think the, uh, the private markets, the, like the VC money is definitely flowing into early stage projects. And you're right. I don't actually, I've never thought about this, but I don't actually see quite the, quite the hunger. Um, let me ask you one other thing before we, uh, we do want to get to the the bright spots here and what the future narratives might be. And I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that, the two of you do. Um, but, but one question I had for you is just a particular asset, which is the token, call it the DeFi token. Um, that has gone from troughs of disillusionment to like peaks of euphoria, hasn't it? Um, I remember in 2018, tokens are dead. They're all futility tokens. Nobody buy a token. Well, it turned out that was probably among the best times. <laughs> in uh, yeah. crypto history to ever buy a particular set of tokens. Synthetics link came out of that world um, with massive highs. Once again, it, it, it feels like people are fading tokens. And I, I see the reasons, right? Um, bad governance is killing tokens. There's no value accrual mechanisms. I even think regulatory has a massive effect on this. Uh, SEC regulatory threats. Now we've seen in the US anyway, the CFTC coming after DAO token holders in a particular way. Um, are tokens dead? What do you think about that? First, I'll throw it back to Maddie and then maybe Fisk. Yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I actually was, um, a, after 2018, I was, I, I called it token minimalist. <laughs> um, <laughs> I changed my mind after after seeing synthetics. I think that was a big breakthrough for for me personally and for us as a um, investment firm too. Um, so I don't think tokens are dead. I think that um, we went through an iteration cycle on tokens. Now we have um, much more information about you know what is what is a good token or what might a good token look like, and um, I think that. Uh, in the next couple of months, years, will come with better models because you know it has been mostly a, a user acquisition tool these days, and um, it's time to change it to to bake in um, more of the value accrual, perhaps, and and all of that. So I I think that it's 
uh, it's going to get better. The tokens, the token models will will only get better, and as the next iteration cycle ahead of us, so tokens, I think, will will stay here for. Uh, yeah, it's a new asset class. Fisk, what's your take on tokens? We can have a round two. Um, yeah, like bearish current model of governance tokens. Um, that being said, most of the arguments you hear about them is that they are basically just placeholders for future sort of token value capture and kind of uh, deflection of uh, of responsibility from devs to uh, to users to be able to say that the project is decentralized in the face of regulators. Um, which, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not a legal expert. I would also say that DeFi founders in general are much more jaded, not only because of regula regulatory uh, backlash uh, against DeFi, but also because the actual bad stuff that happened in the last couple of years, like before that, when Hayden was building Uniswap, it was just this like cool thing everybody can use to provide liquidity. Now DeFi is like this thing, this like minefield where if you build your thing uh, with some bug or uh, something that uh, some like vulnerability, someone will exploit it and uh, your users can potentially use um, millions of dollars. And people kind of didn't know about it back then or didn't care because it didn't happen, but now it happens regularly. And I would say that that's why DeFi founders are not as bold as they used to, uh, or it's one of the reasons. I mean, the, the big visions are definitely moving out of DeFi into some different verticals, which we can talk about later. Um, but yeah, tokens are definitely not that. They will just, yeah, they will evolve. It's like an evolution. Um, insect is not, insects are not that. They just like evolve into different types of uh, bugs and flies and stuff that uh, is better uh, suitable to adapt in, in new environments. Um, yeah, and they will always be. Um, and tokens are representation of anything fungible non-fungible social um hardcore economically backed by any cash flow or whatever uh we might uh ascribe them to or some like assets in reserve or i don't know what else so tokens are here to stay they will evolve and there will be probably a couple of models that will have 90 percent of the use cases and then there will be long tail of weird use cases but yeah i'm definitely i think i'm more bullish on tokens than ever um just because we see multiple successful models um and yeah i i'm actually most bullish on those that are not afraid to kind of break some laws in a way because these are the ones that kind of carry the space forward if you need to design your token around some particular regulation i think you are just like doing your community and your project a huge disservice because then you are optimizing for the wrong things and yeah, I know it's hard for me to say, and know the founders don't want to end up in jail, but at the same time, innovation kind of needs to move faster than regulation at all times. Otherwise we are dead. I really like that metaphor of tokens are insects because there's in that whole like uh, part of the animal kingdom does mutate really, really fast. Uh, and that's what we saw coming out of 2017 into the bear market of 2020 is that some tokens mutated and then they pumped like a thousand X, like SNX, Link, Lend turned into Aave. 
Uh, and so Fisky, I, re I really like that, that mental model to, to latch onto. Maybe, maybe I'll ask you a few of these, uh, potential tokens that you see doing, uh, doing some good mutations in the bear market, but also Maddie in your blog post, you just you threw out some candidate narratives out there that we might be able to latch onto DeFi 2.0, web three commerce, web three social decentralized science. And I also want to ask you guys about where Bitcoin narratives land. Uh, what is Bitcoin's biggest like narrative? Where where is it in the world of uh, latching on to like a purpose? Uh, so I want to get to all these conversations and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, Bankless Nation, we are back with Maddie and Fisk talking about doing a little soul searching for where we need to be in the crypto world, perhaps over the next six months, eighteen months, three years. And I want to start this uh, second half of this conversation with Bitcoin narratives, the Bitcoiner narrative out there for what. What is Bitcoin in this like wartime macro bearish economy? Because I think everyone realized as soon as uh, like it was November, I think, and the Fed kind of signaled that it was going to start getting pretty aggressive with interest rates and all the crypto markets just went super south. People lost the Bitcoin is an inflation hedge narrative and it doesn't really have it hasn't really picked up anything in its place. So how do you guys think about Bitcoin in this current phase of the world and what its narratives is and, and what its role is to play in the world. Has it, has it lost its way like the rest of the crypto industry? Uh, Fisk, I'll throw this one to you. Um, yeah, um, Bitcoin as an inflation hedge is very interesting topic to me because I kind of feel that uh, Bitcoin was a good inflation hedge, but it's from trendy inflation. And I think in this regard, um, like Bitcoin uh, maximalist, uh, or at least these Bitcoin maximalists that are more like uh, Austrian economics uh, educated, they were talking about uh, like how uh, like this monetary policy of Fed and the, the world we um, we live in uh, when it comes to you know using debt as main growth vehicle, uh, how like this can blow up and Bitcoin was growing throughout this. The whole period of of this uh, uh, this criticism uh, going on, and I feel that it was a good inflation hedge, just from trendy inflation. It was better inflation hedge than than stocks that also went up. But if you held Bitcoin, you you would be now like if you bought Bitcoin when this critics started to point out that this um, sort of monetary behavior is unsustainable, you would now be like hedged for life, right? If you bought like insubstantial uh, amount. So it just depends how you look at it. But I would say that it's not exposed hedge uh, against inflation. It's like, you know, front running hedge or it used to be. I'm not sure what will happen now. Uh, narrative wise, I kind of feel that the big guys are like full on, um, full on, uh, like full steam on Bitcoin. Drucken Miller, Ray Dalio even, who was a huge crypto skeptic, he's mentioning Bitcoin as an alternative. Uh, to like uh, fiat currencies in some of the podcasts he does. And these guys have like ears of most of traditional finance world. So I would say that narrative wise, these like old, powerful, smart dudes uh, will kind of lead the crowd to discover Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is still the biggest crypto brand, right? Like when you ask random normie about crypto, they will tell you about Bitcoin, about how much energy it burns. And maybe they know about this other thing called uh, ethereum or something but yeah most of them will still like mostly talk about bitcoin and ask about bitcoin even to these days so i don't what see if, bitcoin going away narrative wise what, um, what if we steal man argument a little bit though fisk Ra rather than saying inflation hedge because i think that distracts people it's like debasement hedge 
Okay, because CPI inflation in inflation is kind of different. It's like a lot of factors that oh, yeah. drive that. But like debasement, that is the Bitcoin you know, bull thesis is if a uh, country and the fiat systems are printing money, that is the supply of their base money is going up, Bitcoin will hedge over the long run, not over the short to medium term, but over the long run against that dis debasement. Do you still think that that thesis holds? Um, I'm not sure because I don't know how much how big this debasement can be and how much growth Bitcoin has. Um, again, these big guys like Druk and Dalio think about Bitcoin as uh, sort of a competitor to gold in this regard. And they are saying that maybe the reasonable market cap of Bitcoin is some percentage of market cap of gold, something like 10, 20, 30 percent. And I would say I'm, I, I haven't done the numbers, but I would say Bitcoin is kind of close to that already. So I'm not sure how much upside is left from this regard. Um, I don't know, like, I, I feel that Bitcoin is saturated in terms of being this um, investment or like speculation that can give you like 100 or nothing, as it used to be the case a couple of years ago. And now it's more, it behaves more like a major tech stock. Um, so that's, it's kind of weird uh, space Bitcoin is in right now. But I, I think like narrative wise, it can have multiple narratives going on for it in this world where maybe some countries even trust uh, um, banks or uh, some other governments or that fiat currency is less than they used to. Um, I just don't have enough insight into this world of uh, global geopolitics when it comes to like settlement of currencies to be able to give you any coherent thesis about Bitcoin becoming some sort of um, pseudo settlement layer for some international commodity trade or something like that. But I can see that happening. Um, narrative wise, I just think that Bitcoin is a great toy for Tratfi because you cannot really uh, do that much with it in a non custodial way. So all these custody providers will push Bitcoin and they are the ones that spin the narratives in front of their clients. And mm. I can see that happening and kind of carrying Bitcoin a bit forward. But I don't think it's as interesting as it used to be uh, from like this capability of creating new narratives. Maybe I'm wrong and I will be happily wrong, but maybe my imagination is not as great as it used to be, or maybe I'm just focusing on other things, but I just don't see any super new exciting narrative around Bitcoin happening apart from what uh, traditional finance pushes. And TradFi is generally very unimaginative. So there is that. Maddie, do you have any thoughts to add on to what Fisky was saying about Bitcoin narratives? I would just say that uh, Bitcoin at its core is a sort of defensive ideology and a technology that, um, it, I mean, I would say the narrative is about like way back in the 70s, we screwed up and we have to go back and, and change all of it. So, so, so it's very revanchist in nature. Uh, whereas the rest of crypto or especially, you know, um, ETH, DeFi, and 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 other ecosystems are much more optimistic, and they're they're not as defensive. They're thinking about the future, whereas Bitcoin is kind of thinking about the past and uh, what went wrong. So, in that respect, like these these two are not the same. Right? They're very much correlated in price, but they're not the same. And uh, Bitcoin, all it can do is, is search for a macro narrative. So it's a very macro reactionary. Whereas we should be more independent in the rest of crypto, looking looking to the future. Um, and um, Bitcoin sort of, it feels like it, it cannot do that. I mean, 
probably you know liquidity because liquidity so it will still be a thing it's potential um i think ryan called it the basement hedge i think that can still be valid but uh i don't think there's too much to talk about we just have to wait what uh, what the market will do and uh what they will come up with in terms of their um <laughs> narrative market fit so maddie in, in your blog post you put out a bunch of candidate narratives that i think we want to to run through but before we do that i want to lead into that part of this conversation with uh uh, a theory that I want to run by you guys. Uh, and this is my like surface area theory for bull markets. Uh, and if we go back in time, back to, uh, you know, when MakerDAO was being built, for, first there was Maker, we had DAI, it was a decentralized stablecoin. That was like something, you know, cool that we could point to. Then later came Compound, later came Uniswap, Ave got really big, DYDX came out. Uh, like there was a bunch of just like things that started to happen during 2018 to 2020 and it was like it's like laying tinder it's like the the forest was growing there's brush burning up and just like tinder was being laid all over the place and even during this time i remember being in the ethereum space trying to shout out to the rest of crypto not even the outside world but to the rest of crypto saying hey why aren't you guys paying attention to this DeFi thing more like even the, the crypto industry itself hadn't really like latched on to it but we had all of these applications that had like so much surface area. Uniswap was surface area for trading tokens. MakerDAO put out the decentralized stablecoin, which ended up being like a very commonly used asset inside of DeFi summer. Like there was a surface area, surface area, the application layer of, of Ethereum, where this bull market hadn't really happened yet because it was just ICOs, uh, had just a bunch of surface area. And so that's kind of like my model for how this next bull market, however it comes out, will look is that there will be a bunch of Tinder being laid over the next one, two, three years. And it's gonna look like a bunch of surface area. And this is why I'm particularly bullish on something like ZK EVMs with like ultra low transaction fees, opening up new, brand new use cases that we haven't seen. But it's gonna, it's gotta be in the app layer, right? Because bull markets always start in the app layer uh, because that's what we saw at DeFi Summer was. DeFi Summer was an app layer bull market then the alt layer one like competition avalanche solana tried to and also after the nft also an app layer bull market in ethereum then like all of these alt layer one solana avalanche like a phantom had these protocol bull markets but first first app layer and so i'm wondering if you got if you accept that as like a model like first we have like all of this tinder being laid in an app layer Something happens, some catalyst happens. It was COVID that was the catalyst for the last bull market, a bunch of money printing, sadly, sadly a macro thing. Uh, but that lit the match and then like, oh, we had DeFi summer and then that triggered the NFT boom. And that was all in the app layer. Uh, and so as we go forward, the, and the, the idea to take away from this is, is as we go forward into 2023, 2024, there's a bunch of new app layers out there. There's a bunch of like layer twos that are supporting all these low, cheap, easy transactions. And I'm hoping that the way that this plays out is like a bunch of just surface area gets built all over the place. And then one day there's a catalyst and it ignites a bull market and that's and then we're off to the races once again that's kind of my model for how these things forward and, and maddie in your article with all these candidate narratives i'm seeing a bunch of just like surface area that could potentially ignite into a bull market but before we get into those specific uh candidate narratives i wonder if how, how you resonate with that kind of idea of this is how this bull bear to bull market is going to go maddie what do you think about that so 
what you're saying is that we're going to build a bunch of stuff um, which you know will be useful but will not get that much attention but once that there's a liquidity a magic magic touch of liquidity in the markets then we're going to ignite it and uh, it's going to be on fire that's yeah. what you're saying right yeah that, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that totally makes sense. Uh, even you know, like the fundamentals don't get recognized right away. They need some reflexive action. And uh, for that, we need um, sort of better, I don't want to say macro environment, but definitely we need, we need people not to be scared to invest in stuff and buy stuff. Fisk, any thoughts on this before we go into the actual specific candidate narratives? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that the next... Uh bull run should be more about uh, app layer like capturing end users i mean infrastructure is always moving forward and it's always being uh, improved and yeah we will have many um tools and many layers that uh, will enable new use cases but for me now it starts to be much more about the apps and the things that people will interact with and it will materially improve their lives day to day so, Maddie, the first candidate narrative that you put in your blog post was actual DeFi 2.0. Uh, why is this the candidate narrative and what is, what is actual DeFi 2.0? Well, it's actually something new, right? Um, meaning that it's, uh, it's the next level because I think DeFi, uh, DeFi 1.0 is, is, is mostly this um, self-referential uh, token feedback loop, right? Um, yield and whatnot. And I think that um, what uh, what 2.0 could be, um, it could take it closer to potentially production economy. Um, it could uh, we could find a way how to create more sustainable yields. We can we can think about it. Although this is a bit tricky and maybe not a good time to think about this, but uh, uncollateralized lending um, or you know under collateralized lending. Um, I think that we're ready for uh, for. Um, um, Something that uh, Olympus DAO has been trying to do, and that's uh, sort of fiat independent um, reserve currency. I don't think they're that they're yet, uh, but there might be other people and other projects building this. So yeah, I guess that um, we need we need more than just uh, tokens to pump to say that this is this is a new era. So much more, um, much more utility for um, uh, for regular people not only crypto heads um, and uh, DeFi has been rather, um, you know, just inward looking and we can think about how to make it more accessible to, uh, to the real economy. The, the way I go back to kind of DeFi is like, if we're really going to eat finance, then we have to eat finance. Right. And the, the way we've long for a long time captured this on bankless is kind of through different money verbs, like things people want to do with their money and so right now i feel like DeFi has um we have the ability to send it now you can send it in stable coin format okay cool so we've got send as a money verb and, and pay and there's lots of progress we can make on pay and then we've also done some borrowing and lending but that's only been like collateralized borrowing and lending and most of the real world borrowing and lending that you do say on a credit card like if you're a consumer it's all credit based so what you're talking about is un- uncollateralized lending is like bringing credit systems to DeFi. We, we haven't even tapped into that. And then the other thing I guess we do in DeFi fairly well is like trading. I mean, we've scratched the surface and maybe some, you know, uh, derivatives and that sort of thing. But like, 
I think what you're saying with DeFi 2.0 is it's not going to be a different, like more gamified, Ponzi'd um, sort of uh, scheme to make token number go up. It's not going to be liquidity farming. The new DeFi 2.0 is actually going to be building things that eat traditional finance that real world people want to go do. Is that what you're saying? Am I onto something there? Yeah, I think that is that is spot on. I would maybe add that we have built tools for finance, but we need also tools for commerce, and and that could be a powerful link where if you can, if you have actual commerce going on on chain, uh, that gives you much more space to create new financial products that are not just you know that could be um, related to some cash flows and those type of things. Well, let's talk about Web three commerce because that was another uh, possible future narrative you mentioned um getting people to spend money inside of the blockchain seems to be maybe a, a crucial element i know we've long talked about the use case of being able to buy starbucks with your bitcoin right but it's probably not going to come in that form but i think you've mentioned uh, a couple of other forms it might take GameFi being one um, commerce in GameFi, maybe tokenized ip as well can you talk a bit more about this commerce use case so it's very vague, I would say, at this point. Um, I I do believe that uh, Gamify offers um, a low-hanging fruit in that respect, so purchasing uh, end-game items. Um, I actually, uh, we were discussing this maybe 2019 with the team that uh, we can imagine that you have games built for actual items that you purchase. So um, you can take it, you can take an item that, that you bought in-game throughout different games um, so that it, it's, it's given more powers. And, and I think that that's something that people would spend money on. I mean, obviously it's just uh, entertainment and the question is where we want to just entertain ourselves to, to death. Um, uh, but I would definitely um, want to see um, some um, potentially a, a, uh, a link to um, world of atoms and uh, commerce that, you know, sort of, I don't know how web free Commerce could facilitate uh, commerce better than the existing one, but um, maybe I'll I'll leave this to Fisky because he is bullish on the metaverse thing, and that is commerce for sure involved in that one. So uh, maybe maybe he has an idea. Mm, so I mean, we tapped into multiple things at the same time. Uh, I would I would kind of separate them into like payments. It's funny to me that payments was probably the first use case everyone thought will be massive in crypto and it never really happened i mean we can pay for stuff and we can send money to our friends or even to some vendors but it's it's not something that's like big at this point even 10 years in um and we have stable coins we have blockchains with uh, low fees we have all that and we still are not regularly paying with with crypto or with using blockchain as an underlying infrastructure at least we are not really doing that and i really wonder why like it feels that uh, traditional fintech uh, and banking uh, rails have uh, a huge mold in people's heads in uh, like about how we pay and how we use like cards and, and payments which are maybe reversible maybe maybe thinking about crypto payments should be thinking in which cases we benefit from having irreversible payments and if we don't benefit from having irreversible payments within commerce commercial context, um, can we build layers, application specific chains or tools to 
make payments under some um, some conditions reversible? That's maybe one question. Maybe other question just is the last mile adoption. Like, are payments today really something that needs improvement? When we have cards, we have Apple Pay, we have all this. Um, what does crypto bring to make make them ten times better for people to adopt it? I think there are ways. Uh, that crypto makes uh, payments better, but I'm not sure how much better. And uh, when it comes to um, metaverse, I just need—I just think that we need like a regular economy which is based around digital assets and which is largely non-speculative, meaning that there are many people who want to build—not not build—who want to buy and hold these like metaverse assets, NFTs, digital items not for speculation purposes, but because they really want to hold them, they want to collect them, they want to use them, they want to flex with them. And uh, when this economy is created, uh, I think many of Generation Z and younger generations will kind of be naturally inclined to start using crypto more and more as a financial tool rather than just purely speculative tool. And then uh, it can spill out into other areas uh, connected to physical world which will cater mostly to these young generations, but over decades, you know, young generations are becoming older generations or they enter productive age. And I think this is how we get the adoption, not necessarily pushing um, this um, mainstream real world crypto use cases on, uh, on boomers, but kind of building the world for the future generations and kind of making peace with the fact that uh, my dad will probably never need crypto to pay for anything. <laughs> Maybe me neither. <laughs> One thing that we definitely are know that is happening is that brands, big brands, are leaning into NFTs and tokenizing IP very strongly. Um, we, we saw a, a job report, job uh, listing for uh, a Disney for Disney to basically more or less pivot the whole entire company into being like token uh, NFT enabled. Uh, whatever that means but they they have this job listing out there that's asking like hey for this is relevant to like disney parks disney like media disney movies disney ip we need an nft person to guide the company into like this world and that's disney and like there are adidas is already doing this and so i'm wondering uh, one of the uh the candidate narratives uh that you put in there maddie was uh, tokenized ip and and also Fisky, I think you were talking about how like so much of crypto has been like internally facing like, hey, let's build crypto products for the crypto degens, which is like fun for us on the inside, but it doesn't reach out to the outside. I'm wondering if a, if you guys think that it's possible that we actually like the next phase of crypto development doesn't actually come from the inside. And that's actually how we actually onboard a bunch of people is that we actually don't have crypto natives building crypto native products. We actually have normal companies normal brands doing stuff in crypto but building it for their use users their fans their 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 foundations and that seems to be a much more reasonable way to onboard much more people rather than like hey like uh go put ether into MakerDAO and borrow die instead it's just like oh buy this like spongebob nft uh, and the on-ramps there seem to be much stronger so I, i'm wondering how strong you think that this potential um, narrative, if you will, but also just like fundamental driver of crypto use cases might actually play out into the future. Maddie, what do you think about this? So I think it's a powerful way to onboard new users, but they will not come up with new stuff. Right? They will only adopt the ways and the models that we will lay out. 
for them. So it's very important. Um, and uh, we have, you know, sort of, we came up with a bunch of good ideas um, that mostly lifestyle brands are using um, these days. But I think this cycle will bring, will potentially bring new ones that, you know, more brands and more companies will be able to adopt and, and, and onboard new users into crypto without them necessarily coming into crypto, right? They, they will never be crypto heads or crypto bros, or they will just be users of applications that are of value to them. And that is, a, that is one way of putting it. And um, I think that it's, it's good that we have this wave of adoption. That's for sure. I think that's such a good point, Maddie, that um, the established brands aren't really going to innovate, though, here. They're just going to sort of copy the things that the builders on the frontier in crypto are actually doing. And so they're going to notice, oh, that CryptoPunks thing is successful. Oh, Bored Apes? Really interesting. Now, how can we emulate that for our brand? So they're, they're actually not going to be like building kind of the new things, they're going to look to us, the crypto industry, to really lead the way. Uh, one last use case maybe to touch on is um, Web3 Social. What do you think about this, Maddie? Like, w what's happening here? We see like things like Lens, for example, that uh, are, are forging new directions. We also see Meta, Facebook, um, integrating NFTs into their platform. What is Web3 Social? Do you think that this is a powerful narrative that could rise in the uh, 2022 bear market? Uh, I think it's a very interesting uh, idea or, or um, a narrative because everyone agrees or everyone, well, there's a consensus out there that, uh, that we need a next generation of social media or we need to improve on the existing ones. Um, and um, <laughs> I think that it's um, uh, when A6Z, when they talk about um, um, that pre they talk about like uh, read, write, and own. And I think that in social media, it's more like separation of read and write because we have created this, this, this powerful platforms that probably will be, will be either broken down by regulators or by innovation. innovation. And usually it's innovation that kind of gets them. And even though, you know, Meta is doing something I don't really care or Twitter is doing something I don't necessarily care that much. Um, so I think that, you know, today you come to Twitter or Substack and you publish there, right? They own your graph, your distribution, um, and users can read on the platform and you can only write and publish on that very platform. And uh, what I think could happen is that you will be able to write your ideas or produce your content on various platforms that will be competing to provide the best production experience. And then there will be other platforms that will compete to provide the best distribution. So you write an essay, uh, you want to make it an NFT, so be it. You make this um, essay into an NFT, and then um, you know this tool would enable you to to write it. Is is you know it's a tool, but you're able to sort of make it this this NFT thing. Um, and perhaps there will be other that will have you know better better experience, better graphics, ad additional things. And once you export it. Um, on this writing platform, you will be able to attach different identifiers to it. Um, you create an on-chain identity for that for this piece, and it can have you know various attestations. And um, uh, so the identity of the of the piece and the author can be defined by these attestation. And this could be anything like from I'm followed by Vitalik on Twitter to uh, it can even say I am Mati on Twitter. 
Um, but there might be other sort of playful ones and more sophisticated, like I'm a first hundred user on, on Lens or something like that, right? Um, and then you have these read platforms that will compete to distribute this, this NFT essay with these attestations. And these read platforms are basically different relevance algorithms that, reader, that, that readers, readers use to sort of search for the most relevant content to them. And, uh, you know, read platforms and write platforms, they will get a cut from whatever, you know, uh, the monetization you choose or, you know, from the traffic that you get. Um, and, and this way, you as a content producer are a client of these various platforms and you're not a, you know, sort of a slave to, to one or uh, you're, you're not at the mercy of one. Um, and of course, there will be different platforms focusing on different readers, um, left, right, Bitcoin, ETH, Maxi, whatever. Uh, the point is that no one owns an exclusivity to distribute and, and you know, no one is banning speech or anything like that. So um, I guess that is something that, that I envision. The question is how, how economic it'll get, what, what are the incentives, what are the monetization methods. But to me, it's um, definitely a separation of, of, of read and write and uh, indexing this, um, this contact through new novel uh, protocols. That's fascinating. The, the separation of read and write, you didn't even mention the, the own verb there, which is kind of the token verb there. And that's a re-emphasis because I think, you know, others that have approached Web3 Social have led with kind of token first. And maybe that's not the way to do it. I, I mean, we've talked about a few interesting possible narratives of the future. And when we say narratives, we don't want people to get um, distracted by that term, because I think what we're talking about is um, fundamentals that become price-driving narratives into the futures. But first you have to look at the fundamentals. I know that's what you guys do at ZFi um, Prime. Um, maybe maybe I should uh, kind of leave this as we start to close out with some of the you know the final words in your post there, Maddie, which is uh, I think maybe the most exciting part. You write this, there may be other narratives that will carry us into the future as many founders are working on, that many founders are think, working on that I can't think of does not mean that if things failed in the past, they can't work in the future. It's best when we actually get surprised by the imagination of builders. In the meantime, let's not get overly pessimistic. I love that line. It's best when we actually get surprised by the imagination of builders. We are probably not anticipating the future use cases that will spur on the 2024, 2025 a crypto bull market. Uh, are we? I think we will get surprised as we have as crypto investors, crypto journeys in this space again and again. Um, parting advice, Fiscantes, could you give us your best advice for someone who's listening to this episode and they're, they want to stick around, they're a settler in crypto, they're not leaving. Um, what's your best advice for someone looking for the next new thing to bet on? How, how can they find the right bets? in this sort of environment? Fiscantes, what would you say? Uh, I would say, first of all, walk off from Twitter. <laughs> uh, because it's like a, it becomes a huge echo chamber, especially during bear market when there are less people and the ones that are there are very jaded and salty most of the time. <laughs> but it's like, I don't remember last time I, I read really new and like, let's say non-mainstream idea on twitter so yeah logging off twitter definitely helps um and yeah then just i don't know like for builders i guess it's just like trying to solve 
interesting problems that may that people may have around them even um and for people who just want to like like bet or invest i guess that's much harder right now because when you just go scroll through CoinGecko, all the ideas you see there there are already projects that are either successful or not but you don't really see any inspiration for something groundbreakingly new so i just guess i don't know like read stuff read weird stuff that's maybe not even directly about crypto but about technology in general um for example and i'm not saying this is something that will bring us any new groundbreaking narrative but uh, one way to look at crypto gaming or uh, investments into crypto native gaming which is like one of possible narratives that can carry us is to not go to crypto conferences but go to gaming conferences and talk to game designers and um, gamers there um, so maybe doing something like that stepping out of the crypto bubble and looking around what's happening in the world not I'm not now saying anything about like bearish macro but looking around in different trends in different uh, other tech, uh, tech or innovation verticals um, yeah if there is any I mean everyone should have some sort of passion that is not directly connected to crypto or trading and I don't know if the passion is uh, health and biotechnologies or something like that then definitely that's one way to start looking or this this can be the lenses for you to start looking at crypto with like how could i use this weird set of tools that crypto is right now to improve something from these other areas what could be interesting in that regard um and then i would say like DAOs are interesting in general not in a way that you know you can invest in them easily or in their infrastructure but Starting a DAO should be super easy. I think the most innovation, innovative uh, way for non-crypto people to get into crypto is to just like form some sort of DAO around anything interesting, essentially making a Discord group with some money <laughs> under its management that can like finance stuff or, or play with it. Um, so like joining any sort of interesting DAO and be collaborative there, I think is advice I give all the time because I feel it's timeless. And I'm not saying that this is something that will make you a lot of money easily, or maybe you will be even uh, you will become a bit jaded because the DAO will not be as functional as you imagine because it's too decentralized. There is no leadership, but at least you know how the sausage is made, and then you can have better idea of, about uh, you know uh, what will be the next thing because you see what failed and how it failed. So I guess this, but it's hard. I would say that anything that influencers like us even talk about uh may not necessarily be the big thing and the big things are almost always something that people don't really expect that easily but let's see log off twitter start a dow stop listening to all the bears cross pollinate get out of the crypto bubble that's fiscanti's advice maddie same question to you how do people survive the bear market and come out stronger and uh, how do they find the next big thing during these times I think the most natural thing is don't try, uh, just don't push it. Um, I would say follow your curiosity, not not the money trail. <laughs> Do not let the money trail determine your opinion on things. Um, sometimes it's you know it's actually those things that are not under the light, the spotlight, that are the most interesting ones or the, the breakthrough. And I think that it's important to 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 realize that. Um, I think Chris Dixon, he, he wrote this a uh, long time ago. He said that uh, what the smartest people do on the weekend is what everyone else will do during the week in 10 years. And 
because you're not a builder doesn't mean that you cannot become a builder. Everyone can become a builder. And um, I think that if you see something that should be built, just build it. And um, don't focus on resources, but focus on the creativity. And um, yeah, I guess that's my advice. <laughs> well, ended there, fantastic advice. And I will say everyone who I know who's been early on anything, certainly been early on crypto, got there as a result of following their curiosity, this innate interest uh, for the subject matter. And I think that's the best way to find the next big thing as it has always been. Maddie Fiscantis, thank you so much for joining us. I think we have some more clarity on the next big crypto narrative, what that might look like uh, into the future. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you guys. Action items for you, Bankless Nation. We will include a link to the next big crypto narrative that is Fiscanti's post, uh, excuse me, Maddie's post. And it's a, an excellent on his Substack. It's called Wrong A Lot. So it's okay to be wrong a lot as well. Um, but I don't think he's wrong on this one. A lot to be optimistic about for the future of crypto, of course. Risks and disclaimers, guys. My time to tell you, ETH is risky. So is Bitcoin. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Stay curious. Stay curious.